morning, everyone. Um, the first reading will be from Mark 5.35. While he was still speaking, some came from the rule, ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and said, to, and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered, with the entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with, with great amazement. And he commanded them strictly that no one should know of it, and said that something should be given her to eat. Um, the next uh, scriptures are Acts 9 from verse 36. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. And it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lida was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two of men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him into the upper room. And all the, windows, and all the widows stood by him weeping showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. And Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turned to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon and a tenor. With Simon a tenor. Thank you very much. God bless you. Well, I tell you something we haven't done. Why don't we just stand? Thank you for reading the Word of God to us. And now that we're all stood, why don't we just turn and say hi to a few people around us? And uh, if you don't know somebody, find out who they are. We, uh, we welcome all of you listening to us on the internet and via the podcast. I want to uh, continue something that I began last week. And uh, on the subject of moving in the Holy Spirit and using uh, Peter, the apostle, uh, as, our, as our model or as our example. And so... I'm just going to finish what we began last week and then we'll just open up and see what the Holy Spirit wants to do among us this morning. Amen.
Okay. Uh, last week we looked at the whole uh, subject of this, and we looked at Acts chapter 3, and we began by looking at how Peter and John were going to that place of prayer. And on their way to the place of prayer, they met a man being carried to the gate to beg, and he wanted money, and they gave him legs. You know the old preacher's joke, he asked for arms, and he received his legs. And uh, uh, I didn't think it was that funny, but anyway, there you are. The old ones are the best. And, and God healed him. And so we looked at three, three things, really, just from that story alone. Here they are again. That Peter knew what he had, you know. He didn't doubt or waver. He says to him, in the name of Jesus, I don't have money, but such as I have, I'll give you. And uh, we just made the, perhaps the slightly naughty comment that sometimes today the church has money, but it doesn't have what people really need. Uh, it doesn't have spiritual power. But the man was healed because Peter knew what he had. And uh, we talked about how he uh, knew the Word of God, and it was, the Word of God was strong in him. He wasn't standing on a spring. He was standing rather on a rock, uh, the rock of the Word of God. And secondly, that this power, we learn a bit later in the chapter, was not because Peter was especially holy. He says, don't look at us when the crowd come and they're kind of applauding what's gone on. He says, don't look at us as though it's by our holiness, our godliness, that this man walks. And so the second principle of moving in the Spirit, having or just operating in any kind of ministry, really, one is you've got to know who you are and what the Word of God says. The second is that it's not reliant upon you having a certain degree of success. Can, can I just throw something out here? When Jesus called Peter the rock, we think of the word rock as meaning a source of strength. So he says you... You are called Simon, which means a reed, a bit of grass that can be blown around. But you are going to be called rock. And I wonder whether we've misread that to mean that Peter was being called strong. But there's a totally different way to think of a rock. A rock or a stone is part of a building. It's, it's a building block. It's part of building. It's as though Jesus was saying to him, not that he was strong, but that he was something that God could work with. And I want to encourage you, because lots of us in this room, we are not strong. If we had to really do a holiness test, we would all fail. All of us would fail. And what I found is, as you go on in Christ, there are more questions on the test. Have you ever found that? Right? You think when you first become a Christian, you just got to get through five things. Actually, the more you go on, then you turn the paper over. Can you, can you say amen? Isn't that true? I'm, I'm using a metaphor, but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. As God wants to go deeper in us. Suddenly, we, we've cleaned up what we say, but then as we go on, we realize we have to clean up also what we think. And you're like, yeah, I did that one time in an exam. I'm sure many of you have this story as well. I uh, did a fabulous uh, uh, exam one time, I'm going back to when I was a teenager, 16 or 17, and I remember I had so many minutes to finish a paper, and uh, 
there were three questions, and I did the three within the two hours or whatever it was. And I remember sitting there looking around, and, and everyone's still writing. I'm thinking, hey, I've, I've, done, I've done pretty well, you know. And you know what I'm going to do? I'd turn the paper. There's another question on the other side. Oh, my. And I'm looking at the clock. I've got 12 minutes. As we go on in God, we discover that we have to keep turning the paper. There's more God wants to do. So it's not about holiness. It's not about being, it's not about being a rock of strength. It's about being something that God can work with. And God can work with you if you put yourself in his hands. And the third thing that we looked at last week was that Peter understood that this miracle that had occurred was, was for the purpose of spreading the good news. And as a crowd gathered to see the man walking around, uh, he preached the gospel to them. And we just took some time to talk about the connection between miracles, signs and wonders, and actually reaching people for Jesus. So I want to go on today and just look at a few more uh, uh, just, just principles of ministry from Peter's life and experience. And some of you, for some of you, you can relate this to moving in spiritual gifts or having uh, just flowing with the Holy Spirit. Others of you who may not be quite as wired into that as others just think of it in terms of your ministry, in terms of serving God today. So the fourth one is that Peter modeled himself on Jesus and he prayed. I don't know if you noticed, but in the readings we had just a, a moment or two ago, the idea of those readings was for you to see they're very similar things. Jesus is on his way to the house of Jairus on the way a woman touches his clothes and receives healing on the way and it kind of delays him and as a result of the delay the little girl Jairus's daughter uh, dies she dies and Jesus goes into that house there they all are wailing and getting upset they're professional mourners people were paid in those days to come and be upset at at a, at a, at a occasion such as that and so Jesus sends them all out, apart from the, the immediate family. And then he touches her by the hand, and he says to her, Talatakumai, or Talatakum in, in Aramaic. Little girl, arise. And the girl comes back from the dead. Then we come over into Acts 9, and exactly the same scenario. Peter hears that a little girl called Tabitha, which is a little like um, Talitha, little girl. So it's only one, actual. it's just one letter different. Has died. So he goes to the house. And what he does, it's amazing. You can, you can read it again, but read it carefully. He sends everyone out. <laughs> he then reaches and takes her hand. He does one other thing, which I'll mention in a minute. But he reaches for her hand, and he says, Tabitha kum, which means, Tabitha, arise. It's almost exactly the same dialogue. It's extraordinary. If we want to uh, serve the Lord, then we've got to be like the Lord. Can you say Amen. The best model, I, I tell you what's funny, and I'm sure you've noticed it already, 
But if you haven't, it'll give you some fun in the years to come. It's really funny watching preachers who have modeled themselves on other preachers. That's really funny. I remember one time where uh, I was, uh, I really liked listening to uh, uh, preachers. And one particular preacher I used to listen to when I, I'm going back maybe six or seven years ago, and he was from South Africa. So I used to listen to this preacher all the time. And then I heard myself on Sundays in this very room. Suddenly, I had this South African accent began slipping out. By the way, can you answer me this question? Why was it on the green two or three weeks ago when the guy on the platform said, who's from South Africa here? Why did I shout me? I don't know that. But we all shouted us. By the way, just off the record, didn't we lead the day that day? Amen. Anyway, right, pride over. Okay, we all, we all, we all repent. But, you know, I, I heard myself speaking in a South African accent. Sometimes I'll, I'll uh, listen to a recording of myself and I'll hear an American accent twanging out of me. And yet, you know, when I'm down at Tesco, I, I don't talk like that. I don't. In fact, at Tesco, now I use the automated service, I don't talk to no one at all. <laughs> but it's amazing how we can be influenced by others, isn't it? And you watch some of these favorite preachers, and you can see who their favorite preachers are by the way they do it, by their mannerisms, sometimes by the way they dress. I, I, I remember seeing a, uh, uh, someone in, in Africa, a very, very amazing ministry, actually, someone in Africa, who clearly was also very fond of a preacher in America who dressed in white. And I turned on one time, and then he came out, all dressed in white himself. I thought, I wonder where he got this idea from. That's not a criticism, it's just fun. What I'm saying is that we do kind of like to uh, model ourselves on others. But what we learn from this story is this. That as Peter went into that house, he clearly remembered... What only occurred at the maximum three years before. The same scenario, and he thought to himself this, what did Jesus Christ do? He didn't think to himself, I wonder what Barnabas and Saul would do. He didn't think to himself, what would James do in this situation? Uh, those were his contemporaries. Those were the people on his Christian TV. What he thought about was, what did Jesus do? And I want to encourage you that in your ministry, in the way that you're going to minister to people, of course the way you live your life, but the way that you're going to help people, the way that you're going to, the way that you're going to prophesy, the way that you're going to preach, the way that you're going to share your faith with people, the way that you're going to do it. Don't necessarily think that you have to do it like someone else does it, except that you must do it the way you think Jesus would do it. There's something about someone ministering to you, someone trying to help you, whether they are doing something spiritual like prophesying or whether they are simply helping to move someone's home. There's something about the character of Jesus that must be uppermost and foremost in that experience. Do you agree with me? I think it's true that we should be like Christ. Peter thought, what 
would Jesus do? He modeled himself on Jesus Christ. I remember one time being at uh, Bible school, you know, and every morning at Bible school, there'd be a different preacher, one of the students, and the preachers, they got 15 minutes there. And so for the experienced preachers, they had to cut themselves down. And for people who'd never preached before, 15 minutes was a good attainable amount. And of course, if they weren't up to that, they could always sing for five minutes and then preach for 10 minutes, you know. I just want to start with a song. <laughs> All eight verses of this old hymn, you know. And then after they say, sing with me. And in the end, they're only preaching five minutes. But I remember one guy got up and he just got behind the, and I don't know whether this goes on anywhere else, but he got behind the pulpit and he started shouting at people. And he was really, he had the mic right up, you know, right up close like this. And he starts shouting at them. Well, I guess he wanted people's attention. But I just didn't see Jesus sort of doing it like that. So whatever you're going to do, however you're going to serve God, and I hope that you all have a desire to serve God, not just to know God, but to work for Him, to serve Him. Your employment may be tomorrow, but your, but your life's work is something else. We need to do it like Jesus. But the other thing we notice, just from the story, there's one distinct difference, and that is it says that before Peter went to pray for the little girl, it says that he got down on his knees and he prayed first. I think this is hugely important. Because in whatever we do for God, whatever service we uh, seek to be involved with, we must always remember one thing, that we are not Jesus. We are not Jesus. Now that might sound really obvious, but the truth is that sometimes the way this ministry and spiritual gifts are taught, it's as though we can do everything that he could do. Now, sure, it is the same Spirit of God in us that was in him. But Peter had an understanding that if he was going to be like Jesus, he was going to have to pray as well as believe. And so before he went to bring this girl back from the dead, I tell you, if I was taken to someone's home and someone was dead, I might pray and all. I might do. I might get down and pray. In fact, I might get down and pray so long that I hope everyone left the room. When he opened his eyes, they were still there. I want to encourage you in your ministry, you're going to have to pray. You're going to have to pray. As you pray, God will indeed begin to flow so much more. There is an absolute assurity in my heart that it's, it's about obedience. It's about knowing what we've got. It's about obeying the word of God. But add to that that we're going to have to pray. We're going to have to pray. And you have to pray about anything. Anything and everything. It's not just if you were going to go and preach in a giant football stadium that you'd have to pray. If you're going to go and be a blessing to someone, it's good to pray so that the character of Jesus comes out. Okay, I've probably said too much about that. The second thing I notice here, or the, or the fifth in the series, that Peter understood that the Holy Spirit, who was 
the one doing the miraculous works through him, he understood that the Holy Spirit was a person. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira are uh, uh, confronted with the, the truth that they have lied about an offering amount that they claimed to have given and they hadn't. That's a scary thought, I tell you. And he says to them, in Acts 5, he says to them, why have you agreed to test the Spirit of God? He says to them, you have not lied to men, but to God. And then a little later, in the same chapter, while he's preaching, he says, we are witnesses of this. And so is the Holy Spirit, who, and the inference is, who is standing with them. I want to tell you something. Do not fall into the trap of thinking that ministry is about somehow obtaining a power from somewhere. It is not. We do not believe in George Lucas and the force. It's not the force. The anointing is not some power that is independent of a person. The Spirit of God is a person. He can be grieved. He has a will. He can be resisted. He comes to teach. He comes to guide. He speaks. He has all the qualities that we would associate with a personality, with a character, and with a person. Peter knew that it wasn't some power that he had. He knew that he had a person on the inside of him, the Spirit of God. And that's another key in, in, in um, ministry, to understand that we're reliant not upon an experience we've had with God in some conference last week or, or on the last decade. We're not reliant upon some uh, 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 moment where we had some goosebumps. We're not reliant upon a lie down on the ground. And all those things uh, may be valid and good. But actually, we are trusting that He is with us. Can you say amen? That He is with us. It's very interesting, and I won't develop this, because I don't want to create uh, confusion. Or, or, but it's very interesting that in the Gospels, in the Gospels, and if this doesn't sit with you, then just, just let it go over your head. But in the Gospels, it's very interesting that Jesus brings his um, disciples to him, and he gives them power and authority. And he sends them out. But in the book of Acts, we never, we read that they receive power, but we never, never hear that they have authority. Now, uh, don't get me wrong, I believe in the believer's authority. Uh, and I believe that that's an appropriate use of language. However, there's a subtle distinction because Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? Has been given to who? To Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. He didn't say to you. He said to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he said, therefore go and I will be with you. See, we're not relying on our own power and godliness. We're relying on the fact that he is with us. Can you say amen? It's all about him being with us. 
I remember one night, uh, many, many years ago, having a wonderful revival meeting down in, down in Torquay. Just amazing demonstrations of God the Holy Spirit. And I had to write about it. <laughs> I thought, well, what can I write? And all I could write was, it was a privilege to be in the same room tonight as Jesus of Nazareth. It's a privilege to be in the same room as Jesus of Nazareth. Because when God displays his power, suddenly, despite all our schematics and all our ideas, suddenly it doesn't, it's not really about gifts. It's not really about ministries. It's not really about personalities. Suddenly, it's all about the fact that God was in our midst. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, when you prophesy, and he, of course, he's, he makes it very clear that it's a gift. He makes it very clear that people should seek that gift. But he, but he completes what he's saying by saying that if you prophesy, people will fall down and say, God is in this place. They won't say, what a gifted person. They will say, God is in this place. Don't you find that's true? You've been in some place, someone will come with, and they have a special gift for sure. And they have a special anointing for sure. They have a special ministry for sure. But when you leave, Hopefully, you don't say, what a wonderful preacher. Hopefully, if it's truly been the work of the Spirit of God, you say this, my goodness, God was in that room. It was God in that room. I once attended a meeting that I don't talk about very much with a very well-known speaker. And I was in a church building, and as he began to share and to speak, the building began to shake the rafters above began to, I don't know, vibrate. And pieces of the ceiling began to come down. And they were caught, thank God, in rafters above us. It was not an earthquake. It was the presence of God in that place. And when we left, I can tell you now, I can't remember a word the preacher said. And I remember his name, but it doesn't impress me. What impressed me was that God was in that place. Peter understood that. That the Holy Spirit was, was, was God, and he was, he was a personable God. It wasn't about power. It's not like the occult where people seek after spirit guides and powers and all that. No, We've we got to clear that out of our, of our thinking, we charismatics. Seeking after empowerments and double portions. I mean, maybe there's some validity in it. But, oh, how wonderful it would be if we just sought after the living God. Not all this other stuff. A man, who has, a man or woman who has God with him will find everything else will be added to them as well. The third one here, or number six, was that he was... He wasn't put off by making mistakes. Do you remember back in Matthew's gospel, he walked on the water. You remember that? Walked, this platform looks a bit like water. I'm going to give this a go. I'm walking on the water. For those listening on the internet, I'm currently walking across the baptism pool. That's a lie. Okay. But he walked on the water uh, for a bit. For a bit. And then he looked down, and uh, this has been 
shared by a million preachers a million times. But so you know the story. He looked down and he saw the waves and he got scared and he began to sink. There was someone who was moving in the spirit. And yet it went wrong. I want to tell you something. If you're going to have a a ministry, if you're going to minister to people, if you're going to help people, sometimes it's going to go wrong. Sometimes, especially if you're going to try and operate in spiritual gifts, sometimes you're going to make mistakes. And you've got to be undeterred by them. You're not going to be, uh, what's the phrase? You're not going to be knocked out by it. You're going to have to get up and go again. Because sometimes you're going to make mistakes. If you're going to prophesy, then sometimes what comes out of your mouth isn't going to be God. It's going to be something else. It's going to be you. If you're going to feel prompted to go and share the gospel with someone and think, yeah, this is it. God's just told me. And you go up to them and they don't want to know you made a mistake. I've known a number of times of uh, having my hair cut or sitting in a cafe or something and feeling I've got a word of knowledge. Yes. Yes. You. (laughs) Your name is... Your name is Charlie, and your mother is sick. And he goes, no, I'm, I'm called Craig, and my mother died years ago. <laughs> right. Well, I'm sorry about that. By the way, I'm from the Baptist church. <laughs> Sometimes you're going to make a mistake. Am I telling the truth? Yeah, you're going to make a mistake. I found some way to. Uh, I found some ways to get around it. Now I say something like, "Is anybody here called Charlie?" One time I said to someone, uh, "Are you called David?" He went, "No." I said, "Oh, sorry. I must have been confusing you with someone else." <laughs> I thought, "I'm glad I didn't tell him that he was going to die in a plane crash that afternoon." You know, I, I, I scrapped the word. I mean, I'm playing around for fun here, just to make the point. You get, you, you're sometimes going to make a mistake. I remember the first time uh, I was in a meeting prophesying, and I was corrected from the guy leading the meeting. He corrected me because I said something wrong. He corrected me so nicely. He was a nice man. He very carefully corrected what I said. But he knew, I knew... And everyone knew I'd just been corrected. It was done so nicely. He did it the way Jesus would do it. And then, you know, I had to decide, am I going to do this again? You know, it's a bit embarrassing for me. But, you know, the truth is, if you're going to be in the ministry in any kind of way, you just got to be dead, you know. You can't offend a dead man, can you? Not really. So you just got to be dead. And sometimes we come back alive. But you just got to be dead to yourself. You've certainly got to be dead to pride and stuff like that. He corrected me. 
The good news is I kept doing it, though. Sometimes you're going to make a mistake. And some of the healing lines I have uh, these days, I lay hands on many, many people, and some are healed, but many are not. And certainly not in front of me. And neither, neither am I convinced that all of them are healed later after I've gone. I don't think so. I think some are just not healed. I don't understand why. But I have to face that. It's all about saying, well, what do we do? What do we do when we make a mistake? Well, Peter encourages us because he made a mistake. He had doubt. He began to sink. But he carried on. And he carried on believing in the, in the ministry of the Spirit. You're going to be discouraged at times. You're going to serve God and people are going to tell you that it's not very good or they don't like it or perhaps you could just be a little bit better or perhaps you could just be a little bit more to my liking. I remember one lady I worked with many, many years ago on a worship team and she had a great singing voice actually but she used to play the keyboard. She had a wonderful singing voice but she never sang. So at first I just thought maybe she's too nervous to play and sing as a musician. Maybe she's, let me just do one thing at a time, you know. So after a few years, though, I said, look, uh, you've got a great voice. Why don't you sing a bit? It transpired that years ago she'd been singing and someone said to her, oh, you've got a terrible voice, which not, this is, it's not the case. But in that moment, that's it. She stopped sitting there and she never sang again. Well, we've got to pick ourselves up, you see. We can sink. We can start to sink in the water. But it's about time for some of you that you got back on the water again. Maybe it didn't work out. Maybe helping people didn't work out for you. Maybe they shut the door in your face, they hurt you, offended you, betrayed you. You gave yourself to something and it didn't seem to bear much fruit. And you think, well, I must have made a mistake. Well, maybe you didn't make a mistake. Perhaps the biggest mistake in the story that we're talking about was staying in the boat. Amen. That's the biggest mistake. At least the guy got out there and had a bit of a dance on the waves for a bit. So don't be put off by mistakes. Last week we talked about how Peter made moral mistakes. You know, on that day when he said to that lame man, such as I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Just 50 or 60 days previously, he shouted out in a courtyard, I don't know Jesus. He said last week that in our current church climate, the way we do church today, the way we think, He'd have had to have gone on a repentance sabbatical for at least a year before he got back in the driving seat, but it wasn't the case. So whether you have had a moral failure, an ethical failure, a failure of character, or whether you have had a failure in ministry itself, it didn't work out, you made mistakes, I intend to keep on making mistakes all my life. Because I intend to keep on going. And by keeping on going, you guarantee you're going to make mistakes.
but the choice is in our is in our court. Peter had character flaws and ministry flaws and faith flaws. But he got back on the water. What about you? Are you going to get back on the water? Isn't it about time you got back on the water? Let's finish with a couple more. God used him to do greater works. Jesus said in John 14 and 12, he said this, he said, the things I've been doing, you're going to do them as well. And that would have been amazing enough, except that he goes on to say, and greater things than these shall you do. Because I go to my Father. Just imagine what these fishermen thought of that. Greater things than what you've been doing. You know, this is John 14, a couple of chapters back. They've just been to Lazarus' tomb and seen a man dead four days. Come out of his grave. Greater things than this. Water turning into wine. We, We should do greater things than this. What could possibly be greater than going up to someone, talking to them, and either by speaking or by touching, or in one case, spitting in the ground and making mud? We don't do a lot of that today. What could be greater than going up to someone and touching them or speaking to them and they are cured? What could be greater? that in the passage that we have here Acts 5 it says that when the people heard that Peter was around when they heard that he was around verse 15 of Acts 5 as a result people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil or unclean spirits, and all of them were healed. That's amazing. Towns around Jerusalem not just in Jerusalem the word got out someone was twittering it that something was happening and people from towns around brought evil spirit possessed people brought sick people, lame and blind and deaf. Those with leprosy, I I, I don't know. And they laid them in the street because they heard that he, Peter, might just be walking by that way. Can you just grab the concept of that? What were they thinking? Where did they get this idea from? Who told them this? That this could even be possible? They didn't have a New Testament. 
But they came. Crowds came. That means there's hundreds of people lying on mats and beds. And as he walked by, not even going to them, friends, not even going to them, not even praying for them, the power of God fired from him like arrows striking with grace and blessing their health. Demons screamed out and left. And people who couldn't walk stood up. And people who were blind, their, their eyes came back just because they were in the same area as him. Greater works he did. This is the guy who didn't believe and found himself drowning in the lake. This is the guy who said he would have nothing to do with Jesus. I don't know the man. This is the guy who said, I've not got any special godliness. This is the same man. The rock. Not the man of strength, but the building material. Something that God could work with. There's a very famous story in a You may have heard it. I believe that it's not apocryphal. I believe it to be an accurate story of the story of of Catherine Coleman preaching in a in a hotel, and uh, they wanted to bring Miss Coleman to the platform of the hotel. They had a special room, United States, but it wasn't a good idea for Catherine to go via the door where she would be mobbed. (laughs) So she said, I need to be able to arrive on the stage but not come through the door. People will grab me and talk to me. They said, well, Miss Goodman, the only way to get you to the stage from your hotel room without using these doors is to take you through the kitchen. She said, I'll go through the kitchen, but just, I need, that's how it needs to be. So Catherine Coleman was praying in her room, seeking the presence of the Holy Spirit of God who came upon her. And then with an escort, maybe, I don't know, she left her hotel room, went through the elevator, down the elevator, the lift, and then went through the kitchen. And in the kitchen, there's all these people, they don't know who she is. They have no idea. Maybe they didn't even know she was going to come. They're there preparing the food and washing up or whatever they're doing in this posh American hotel. And as Miss Kuhlman came through, she just very quickly walked through the kitchen area. And as she walked through, everyone in the kitchen area was slain in the Holy Ghost. Falling here and there. They didn't know what happened to them. As just her presence moving through touched the lives of those of those people. It's, now having used that illustration, now let me withdraw it in a sense that God's not looking for superstars. God's not looking for special people. He's looking to call us all 
to be empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit. Could it be? I'm not now talking about people falling under their kitchen tables. And maybe I'm not even talking about people being healed. But listen to me today. Could it be that God could use you in such a way that just your presence in a place would bring His glory and His power? That just by you walking in, I'm not now talking about sensational things happening necessarily, but just by you being there, you have brought the kingdom of God with you. Wherever Jesus went, the kingdom of God went. Can you say amen? Yeah, wherever he went, the kingdom of God went. Now watch this. Jesus said, wherever you go, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. That means that wherever I go, wherever you go, the kingdom of God is going with us. Because the king is going with us. He's going with us. It's me and Jesus going through the quick checkout at Tesco these days. It's me and Jesus driving down the A14. It's you and the king going to work later today or tomorrow. It's you and the king going to that family event. And as we go as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, bringing his presence with us, change could be wrought. Wherever Peter went, God used him to do greater works. So let me, let me conclude. As we think about moving in the Holy Spirit, as we think about operating in our, our ministry, number one, know what you've got. Know your word. Know who you are. Don't wait for feelings to activate you, but live by obedience to this. Number two, don't rely upon some great ethical achievement you've made. Be holy because I am holy, says the Lord. But we are a rock. We are something God is working with. We're not necessarily strong. Number three, be sure that in all that you're doing for the Lord, it's connected to sharing the good news about Jesus. Number four, model yourself. Don't model yourself on your friend. Don't model yourself on some ministry or some favorite person. Model yourself on Christ. Let the character of Christ and the methods of Christ be strong in your life. But don't forget to pray as well. Number four, be sure to understand that it is God who is with you. As much as God gives us gifts, it's actually about him being with us that, is, that makes the difference. The Holy Spirit, a person. Uh, number whatever number it is now. Number six, don't be put off by making errors in the past. No, no, the word of God comes to that young man uh, in the New Testament, Timothy, and says this. Why don't you fan into flame the gift of God that is in you or stir up the gift of God that is in you? Don't let it be buried, but let it be used. Don't be put off by making mistakes. 
The only mistake in the kingdom of God is to fall and not arise. If you fall and arise, your mistake is behind you. If you fall and don't get up, you've made, you've made the mistake. So fall, but arise, and you'll find that you can go on. And number seven, don't forget that God wants to use you in greater and greater ways. Let's stand. Blessed be the name of Jesus.